We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Tuesday, May the 12th, 2020. On today's show, former Gamecocks second baseman Justin Rowe joins the podcast as I go one-on-one with him to talk about his baseball career at South Carolina, and more importantly, the recent update, Justin Rowe beating stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma. He is now cancer-free as of last Friday. We talk about all that. Great to hear from Justin. Get an update. Talk about his South Carolina baseball career in full detail and much, much more. Before we get into everything, this is a podcast to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one that I would recommend. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to save $20 off your first purchase. Guys, sports are returning. Tickets are on sale now. If you need your tickets to any South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, professional sporting events, like I said, sports will be back before you know it. We're beating this pandemic's ass, and we're going to get back to doing what we love to do the most, which is watch sports. If you're going to start buying your tickets, again, SeatGeek's the way to go. they got a great ticket rating system, which rates the tickets for you based on the type of deal you're getting. So never again will you overpay for tickets. Obviously, you're not going to have to scout because who wants to shake somebody's hand right now or try to risk getting sick or whatever it may be. Go through SeatGeek. It's the best way to do it. And like I said, you're going to be getting the best bang for your buck. You're going to know exactly where you're sitting, what you're paying. Am I overpaying? Am I getting a deal? you're going to know ahead of time. They've changed the ticket buying process. They make it super simple, super easy for you. So again, that's our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $20 off your first purchase. Let's get it. Seventeen to 2018. During his career, he hit 331, had nine homers, 34 RBIs. In 2018, he was also named to the Greenville Regional All-Tournament team. Most importantly, though, you probably know him, beat cancer, stage two Hodgkin's lymphoma, recently happening within the last week or so. Obviously, this situation developing over the last couple of months. Um, We're going to talk Gamecocks baseball, obviously his battle with cancer, and obviously overcoming that, which is fantastic news. But former Gamecocks baseball, second baseman Justin Rowe joining the show. Justin, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, Nice to meet you, man. Thanks for having me on. 
Absolutely. So I want to start with the baseball side of things, Justin, because I know everybody right now, I, I saw you're on different news stations and stuff like that with obviously the good news. But I want to start with the baseball side of stuff. You're a California kid, obviously growing up in Laverne, California. Uh, you were at Fullerton College, which is a community college, and then got to South Carolina. But just talk about sort of your recruitment out of high school. Uh, what were your options there? Why did you decide to go to community college, which again, eventually led you to South Carolina? Yeah, so obviously a lot of people know I'm pretty undersized uh, a guy. I was uh, a lot skinnier in high school than when I got to South Carolina. So um, I had some D1 offers, some D2 offers out of high school, um, but I was dealing with some arm troubles uh, at the end of my senior year. Um, so pretty much everybody I was talking to kind of bowed out. Um, so I kind of figured junior college was the route to go. Um, I had known some people with success at the junior college level that got to some major D1s. Um, so I thought I could follow in those footsteps. Um, and then once I got to, to Fullerton and, you know, beyond the rest is history. When did South Carolina come into the mix for you? Because obviously, again, you being a California kid, I mean, that's a, that, that's a long flight even, much less the, uh, the mileage there. But when, when did South Carolina, I know it was Chad Holbrook and his staff, when did they uh, come in contact with you and when did that relationship sort of start? Yeah, so it was kind of deep into my sophomore year at Fullerton. Um, it's a crazy start. I was actually on my way to commit to another school in California. Uh, I was driving to that school in Riverside, UC Riverside, mm. uh, with uh, Troy Percival and his staff. And uh, my head junior college coach called me and was like, hey, um, I think you're going to want to take a phone call that you're about to get. And I was like, man, like, who could change my mind at this point? Like, you know, I'm getting a scholarship to Major D1. He goes, um, just say that I call the practice and uh, get on here. There's somebody here to meet you, too. I was like, okay. So as soon as I got off the phone with him, uh, he might have been in my coach's office or something, and Coach Esposito called me. And uh, sure enough, he was there the next day to watch us practice and work out, um, talk to him in the dugout for a little bit, talk about if I was willing to, to go out there, and of course I was. Um, I think that was on a Tuesday, and I committed that Thursday night after our game. Yeah, mm. he's, he watched one game, and I think he liked what he saw, and I committed on my birthday. Being a kid from California, Justin, how, how much did you know, if anything, about South Carolina baseball? I'm sure you saw him on TV, one of the College World Series and stuff, but how much did you know about Gamecocks baseball at that point? At that point, not much. I did actually like like South Carolina. I mean, they won back-to-back championships and should have mm-hmm. won the third, I think. Um, but I loved their uniform combinations when they were in the World Series. Um, and honestly, like, who doesn't like the name Gamecocks? So, um, I've seen stuff on TV, but it didn't take much convincing from Coach Esposito. Like, I didn't even need a, an official visit. I didn't even check out the campus or anything. He just sent me some uh, some FaceTime videos and some uh, videos that media had made, and it was easy to sell. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you because I was going to see if you had, you know, visited or not. When you got on campus, and I mean, because obviously, you know, the tradition, the everything else with Gamecocks baseball, I definitely think one of the big selling points, I know you'd agree, um, it is the facilities. I mean, what was your reaction when you actually got on campus and you were able to see Founders Park? And I mean, you know, any of us could argue it's it's one of, if not the best facility in college baseball for sure. Yeah, from from everything I've seen from playing there and coaching there to playing elsewhere, seeing other things, it's 100% the top of the line in terms of facilities um, is better than pro ball is better than um, anything that I've seen so far. So when he was, I guess, recruiting, he just sent me like a video of, Hey, like this is our cages. This is our weight room. This is our locker room. And I was like, Oh my gosh, who wouldn't want to come here? You know, why are you looking for a California kid? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it didn't take much because everything was amazing. 
and uh, they're, they're second to nobody. For sure. So I want to talk about that 2017 season. I think your career, by the way, Justin, is very interesting in the sense you're one of the few guys that, you know, you were there for two years and played for two different coaches. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But that 2017 year, your, your junior year, but your first year at SEC baseball, you know, you hit 290, two homers, nine RBIs, started 17 games. How would you assess, as far as on the field, how would you assess your um, – the transition from playing at the JUCO level, if you will, to getting into SEC ball? Like, what was that transition like for you? Yeah, it was uh, definitely a step up. I, the first moment I realized the competition was different was one of our first inner squads. I hit a ball in the gap, and immediately I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to third. And by the time I looked up, TJ Hopkins was like coasting to the ball in center field. And I was like, wow, that's not typically caught where I'm from. <laughs> Um, and right then and there, uh, second weekend or whatever it was, I was like, okay, this, this level of play is different. Um, and that's where I think I got in a little trouble. I tried to get away from my style of play. And that's why I think I kind of struggled there early on in my career, but kind of refound myself about midway through that first year. For sure. So I do want to ask you about Chad Holbrook. Obviously, again, he was there for the, one, the first year you were there. What was your relationship, uh, what was your relationship like with Coach Holbrook? Yeah, it was good. Um, never really had any problems. Just obviously I only knew him for that, that one year. And um, actually, actually, he's talked to me a lot throughout my process recently. Mm. And, uh, you know, he's a great guy. And um, I appreciate everything he's done for me, you know, getting me to South Carolina and, you know, creating the bonds that I have there now. And uh, I think without him, none of this would have been possible. For sure. So I, I do want to ask you, because that 2017 season was was really, really interesting. I mean, I've talked to a lot of different guys, a lot of your former teammates, and we just talk about that season, how, you know, it reminds you a lot of what was going on uh, or what went on in 2019, where the team was so close and it felt like every series came down to game three and just, you know, just something happened or whatever. Um, but obviously we all know what happened. You know, Coach Holbrook decides to step down, if you will, whatever happened, goes to call to Charleston. I guess, what was your reaction? I mean, I know you would come from California, so after that there's got to be a little bit of uncertainty, but was there any worry, you know, or any – I guess what was going through your mind when all that situation was going down? Was there any uncertainty on your end or just kind of like, hey, we'll get the next guy in here and, you know, bounce back in 2018? Oh, there was definitely some uncertainty uh, on my end. Obviously, I didn't play as quite as much as I, I would have liked to. Um and even Coach Holbrook and I had a conversation at the end of the year that if he if he were back, that he recommended I transferred out. And so I was starting to look at other options, um, kind of weighing what I was going to do. Um, actually, Coach Myers, after Coach Holbrook stepped down, said, hey, stay. Like, you're going to be a part of this program. Um, and then once Coach Kingston was announced, I actually he, – they actually recruited me at South Florida out mm. of junior college. So I had known them previously. Um, so I knew them and I was comfortable and I, I knew I could play at that level if I just stuck to, to new, to what I knew. And, um, they just gave me the shot, which I was looking for and it worked out. Yeah. I was going to ask you, Justin, cause there were a lot of guys. I mean, you were, you were one of many whose offensive numbers really took off in 2018. I mean, you take a look, like you said, you really found yourself, uh, hit 347 in 2018, seven homers, 25 RBIs. I mean, was Coach Kingston just the – is he like a hitting guru? Is he like the hitting whisperer? Because, like, I think of you, I think of Madison Stokes, you know, Carlos Cortez. There's a lot of guys that the offensive numbers just took a huge jump in that 2018 season. Yeah, there's just certain things that he does, uh, whether it's training, heavy bats, machines, like anything that he can come up with, it, 
it doesn't seem like it helps you out immediately, but over the course of a fall, if you do it that many times, it helps you out and you don't even recognize it. Um, for me, I used to hate hitting off machines. And then now I hate not hitting off machines because it's seeing <laughs> velo every day. Right. And uh, when you get to the SEC level, man, everybody is throwing 92, 93 plus, and the back end of the pens are 95, 96. <laughs> so if that gets to be the norm for you, it's so much easier um, to play at that level. And if you're not, I think that's where you see guys struggle because you go to a midweek where a guy's throwing 87, 88, and then you get a Friday night from Florida and he's pumping 97 with movement. Um, I think it just prepares you so much more doing the little things that, that he brought in with him. For sure. So I do want to ask, you know, 2017, like you said, Justin, you maybe didn't see the field quite as much as you expected or wanted to, if you will. But 2018, uh, you know, you played a ton and you were the opening day second baseman. Just, just talk about sort of the emotions, what that meant to you. And when you look back, what that means to you to, you know, run out on the field with your guys, to be the opening day second baseman, you know, in front of a packed house. I mean, we all know opening day is very, very special um, in Columbia for counter baseball. Just what did that, I guess, what was that experience like? How cool was that? Yeah, it felt amazing. Um, that stands were packed, you know, got got the pennies on. Um, there was a bunch of emotions there, but, you know, you got to try to stay even keel for the game. Unfortunately, lost. But mm. uh, other than that, it was a, a pretty surreal experience and one that I'll remember for the rest of my life. For sure. So I, I got to ask you, Justin, because, again, that 2018 season was also very interesting. But I got to ask you about the conversation that uh, – Coach Kingston had with you guys after the loss to Presbyterian. It was like that was the turning point. And again, I've had a couple of your former teammates on that show and or on the show, and you know they kind of talk about some of the uh, some of the details of it. But I mean, what do you remember from that? Because it really seemed like you guys, I mean, just frankly flipped a switch after that. Yeah, it was one of those conversations that I don't think you can repeat to too many people. <laughs> um, but le like the least I could say is he was definitely fired up, and we we knew the talent we had on that team, and no disrespect to any other team but we shouldn't be losing um midweeks and mm. uh he was definitely fired up and i'd say his message got to us pretty loud and clear <laughs> for sure and it definitely did because you guys went on you obviously go to uh ecu's regional which you know very fun you guys sweep through that and i thought obviously i've talked about this before one of the lasting memories from that regional besides i was thinking about this the other day the ohio state game people forget how awesome a game that was with danny blair what mm. he did but the lasting memory, I feel like, for people is you guys not dogpiling after you win the regional. You know, like I said, talk to different guys. It's like that was something that was expected. You guys went in there with that mindset, that mentality, expecting to win that regional. I want to talk about that a little bit, though, because, Justin, you were 2018, the Greenville Regional All-Tournament team. Um, I, I guess for you, how cool was that to, to get that nod, to have the type of performance you did kind of on the biggest stage? Yeah, it felt good. Um, I had a lot of fun. And, again, those, those games are – insanely competitive and insanely intense with a lot on the line especially being a senior you know I mean one of those games could be your last game that you mm -hmm. ever play or your last college game with with those guys um but like you said that was that, that wasn't what we wanted we wanted to win that regional to get on to bigger and better things and mm -hmm. and we knew what we wanted to do and we knew what the talent level that we had what we could do um so I think that's why you saw the subdue uh, reaction when we when we took that that regional 
For sure. And you guys went to Fayetteville, obviously, for the Super Regional at their place. You know, Arkansas, a team that I could argue I probably should have won the College World Series. Probably should have won it all that year if not for some blunders on their part. But you guys go there and what is – you know, I've heard from players that played early 2000s. Arkansas is a rowdy, rowdy place. It's a crazy environment. They're showing the – whatever that guy's name was, the hog guy on ESPN, constantly, (laughs) like, nonstop. I know they're they're in you guys' ear – and you guys really battled with it. I mean, went to game three, and, you know, it was tough the way it ended, but yet, you know, true fresh from the mound, whatever. Went, went to three games, and I think it really showed the toughness and resiliency you guys had. I know you had a really good game. One of those games you went two for three, two ribbies, had a home run. Um, and actually the win, you, you had that performance in the win. But I guess just talk about your memories from going there, again, a hostile environment. You guys really going toe-to-toe with what people would argue, you know, maybe the best team in college baseball at that point. Yeah, actually, uh, when the, the regional pairings came out, the regional pairings came out, um, I figured whoever won that was going to win the World Series. That's Legitimately, that's how I thought in my mind because mm-hmm. I don't think anybody wanted to play us. And I think there was maybe one team that was comfortable playing us but didn't want to play us, and that happened to be Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, but that environment, you said, it's it's absolutely wild. And especially – they don't even need a score run. They just need to get like two singles <laughs> and they're fired up. Um, yeah. You know, that Sunday game was tough, but you know, Carmen did, did whatever he can. That lineup was just insane that year. And those guys were ready to go. For sure. So I want to ask you, Justin, on, on a personal note for you, obviously while this is going on, you know, which I think is like the dumbest thing and I'm glad they're moving it. The MLB draft goes on like basically during the super regionals or whatever, but for you, you know, you were a guy, you weren't drafted. And I know, you know, a lot of your teammates definitely stuck up for you. I think we tweeted about it as well. But just talk about, because again, you were a guy, you look at the numbers. I mean, you, um, you know, 347, seven homers, 25 RBIs, an SEC play, being an SEC guy, that is, those are phenomenal numbers. Um, j- just talk about, I guess, how much was that in the back of your mind? And, you know, I know it's everybody deals with, you know, the adversity a little bit differently. But I guess, how did, how did you overcome that? Because I know it had to be tough for you knowing, feeling like, yeah, I'm good enough to play at that level and just for whatever reason not getting the opportunity. Yeah, it was uh, definitely tough. Uh, I can remember the, the the draft days, you know, we were practicing and working out and stuff. And um, all the draft eligible guys give their phones to the coaches. So if they get a call during practice, they can answer it and kind of call you over. Um, but I just remember that last day and I was getting plenty of calls from organizations like, Hey, we're taking you with our next pick. And then you see somebody else's names go up mm-hmm. and it just kind of starts to, to boil over. Um, and, and, you know, I think being the competitive athlete I am, I think I was good enough to get drafted and, and I played well enough to, to prove that I got drafted. Um, so yeah, it, it was a, a pretty good gut check, uh, when the last pick was sent in and I, I wasn't drafted because, Growing up, that's what you usually live for. Mm-hmm. You want to hear your name called on draft day, and I think any athlete will tell you that. Um, but luckily, you know, the coaching staff was able to, to get me a deal as a free agent after that. Um, but, yeah, it would have been nice to have been drafted. Yeah, because like I said, with your numbers, you more more than enough had the – had the accolades, if you will, or had the resume, if you will, to get drafted. Again, I remember a lot of your teammates talking about that as well. But um, – I know you also coached at South Carolina. Well, you were a graduate assistant on a uh, Kingston staff, correct? In uh, in the 2019 season, is that right? 
Yep, that's correct. So just just kind of talk about getting on the other side, I guess. I know it's it's got to be kind of cool hanging out with the guys for another year, but being a coach, I guess, was that something at that point you were thinking to yourself, hey, I want to get into coaching, or was it just something, hey, I'm here for another year, let me stick around the baseball program? Like, I guess what was that experience like for you? I guess it was a combination of both. I kind of figured whenever my baseball career ended, um, I'd probably be involved in baseball, coaching at, at, at some form. Um, so I figured if I'm not going to be able to play professionally, why not start at one of the most prestigious schools in the country? Um, and I appreciate it greatly because it was their idea. They threw the idea at me uh, when I came back from Tampa Bay after I failed that physical. Yeah. And I couldn't have said yes faster. Um, why wouldn't I want to do it? And uh, I'm very blessed. And I learned a lot from that experience. Um, a lot of things that I don't think I knew as a player, I now understand and get that coaching has a completely different side of stuff um, and much tougher decisions have to be made. And, you know, sitting in the coaches meetings and, and doing all that kind of preparation gave me a, another like sense of appreciation for what coaches do. For sure. So I, I want to move off of baseball, obviously, Justin, and talk about what everybody's been talking about lately. Like I said, you've been on the news and the great news of you beating uh, beating cancer, but I, I want to take people back because I think a lot of people are there. Are some people that maybe don't know the story fully. Um, December nineteenth, two thousand nineteen, you're diagnosed with stage two Hodgkin lymphoma, and you know I was reading a little bit of an interview you did, and it's something that's just so unexpected because I mean you're a guy, you're a college athlete, you're in shape, you know, you, and you just figure, you know, you take care of yourself physically, something like that cannot happen to you, right? So just take me back to that day. You find out that news. I, I mean, what's what, what's going through your mind at that point? Yeah, just like you said, it. I mean, at that time, I was playing professional baseball in Australia. Mm -hmm. I was working out five days a week. I didn't drink any soda, didn't have any red meat. I was living probably the healthiest lifestyle I've ever lived in my life. And then I would say worst case scenario happens and you just think like, how is this possible? And uh, yeah, when I was actually told the doctor that I was with started handing me tissues and kind of stuff like that but I wasn't crying I was kind of motionless I was just in pure shock mm. and uh, I didn't I didn't know how to react or what to do at that point and I kind of just sat in a chair for a while um, and the emotions really didn't hit me until I called my parents and I think that you know anybody can can understand that when you mm -hmm. hear your parents cry you can't help but get emotional right. so once I heard them I knew like we got a hell of a battle coming our way um, but there's only one thing to do and that's to beat it. And so that was my mindset. Yeah. I was going to say, Justin, I thought one of the things that was really telling, and I think it really speaks to the type of dude you are and the character that you have and, you know, the type of teammate you are was the reaction from not just fans, but I mean, your, your, your teammates, your former teammates from coach Kingston, nobody had any doubts that you were you were going to beat this that this you know you're known for as a player being kind of like a dirtbag I mean there's the, per the perfect way to put it you're a dirtbag you're a grinder um and it was going to be kind of the same mentality the same attitude taken on this I guess for you you know it's nice to know you're not going through something like that alone so just just talk about what it meant to you to see the support from I mean of course again fans I remember we we said something about it specifically on the Spurs Up show, but to have your former teammates, you know, your, your, your former coaches, stuff like that, like how much did that mean to you? It meant the world, and I don't think I'll be able to show the gratitude that I that people deserve. Um, a lot of people 
you know, go through this. And, and a lot of people don't have family and friends to help them through it. And for me to, uh, to see the support that I got was completely overwhelming and unexpected. Um, I knew I created some really good bonds when I was at school, um, but I had no idea how many people uh, were going to reach out and, you know, just text or Twitter or Instagram. Um, and just seeing those, you know, constantly day in and day out, people kept saying, like, I'm sure you're annoyed. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, please send them because I feel like crap. And seeing that I'm helping some 12 year old North Carolina, um, it really just puts a smile on my face and really helped me get through the darker days um, that I was going through. Yeah, I want to ask you, it's going to sound like a silly question, but I'm going to ask anyways, as far as, you know, it's funny, we ask athletes, like when they get an injury, you know, what was the toughest part of the rehab or what, obviously this is a completely different level than that. It's literally your life on the line, but I'll ask you, you went through three three months of chemo. What was the toughest part of it? I mean, is it just the mental grind of staying positive and, you know, trying to beat a deadly disease or like, what was the, the biggest obstacle, I guess, to overcome for you, if that makes sense? Yeah, so I guess the the treatments themselves were pretty mm-hmm. were pretty tough. Um, mm-hmm. I actually did like a separate trial after, so I did the the chemo, and then instead of doing radiation, I did an, another um, month and a half of another type of chemo. So I actually did almost five months. Just the last month and a half was a trial experiment. Um, but the way the chemo makes you feel is pretty grueling. Um, it affects everybody differently, but for me. Um, you know, when you get like heartburn and your chest burns, mm, right. for me, it just felt like from my waist up, it was on fire all the time. Mm. And uh, it wasn't right up until that feeling went away was it was time to go back. Mm. So it was just a vicious cycle of, hey, I'm starting to feel good. Oh, wait, I got another treatment this Wednesday. And then the whole process starts over again. And that's when I started dropping the weight because nothing tasted good, couldn't mm. hold anything down. Um, couldn't eat anything warm because it was already hot inside my body. Right. Um, so honestly, the, the, the way my body felt and obviously you lose your hair, you lose your strength, you, mm. you know, everything just starts to go. And for my whole life, I've known I'm a strong athlete. And so mm. when all of a sudden all that's taken away, um, I didn't know how to respond with my body, but luckily my parents were like, Hey, like this is supposed to happen. You can't get frustrated. Like after this is all over then you can get strong again. So that's what I was just kind of putting in my mind, like, hey, like get through these tough couple months and then the rest of your life is good. Yeah, I think what's crazy, and maybe people don't even think about this, but not only did you, you know, you did what you did, you beat cancer, but you did it during one of the craziest times in human history with this pandemic going on, the coronavirus stuff. And I was reading up and obviously you talked about a little bit. I mean, how, you know, because I know around March 15th or March 15th when you, you know, revealed everyone that the cancer was in remission, which is, you know, great news, obviously, but the coronavirus stuff had really just started to take off. I mean, you had to be sitting there feeling like I can't catch a break at this point. Cause like, that's, I mean, that's just crazy to think that that's going on simultaneously what you have going on. Yeah, exactly, man. It was like, the draft and then not being able to sign and then the cancer and then the pandemic. I was like, Jesus, man, what did I do to piss you off? God, (laughs) what's going on? Um, But it was definitely tough because it just put more restrictions on what I, what I was able to do. And then even now, like I'm finally ready to go feeling good and I got to stay home some more. (laughs) It just kind of sucks a little bit, but 
Uh, I'm just fighting through it just like everybody else. And hopefully it'll be done soon. For sure. Well, I want to take everyone back and take you back to just a couple of days ago, last Friday, May the 8th, you announced simply put on, uh, on Twitter, I'm free hashtag cancer free done with chemo. You know, I was reading up again a little bit in an interview uh, that you did that, you know, you talked about when you found out there really wasn't any emotion. You were shocked, you know, stoic as anybody can imagine they'd be. But there it seems like there was a lot of emotion, obviously, when you found out that it was finally over, if you will, or that you were cancer free. Finally, J- just talk about, you know, the the rush of emotions when you find that out. and You find out you, you, you won the battle against cancer. Yeah, I was uh, absolutely ecstatic. I was with uh, my mom and dad. And uh it was just emotions again. When I saw them crying, I started to cry, and it was just finally, you know, we beat it. And in my family, we haven't had much luck when it comes to cancer. So um, all we've known is bad things. So it was nice to finally get some good news after all this. Um, and once, once I was told, I just I couldn't stop smiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I was just ready to take on the world at that point. Oh, that's awesome stuff. So I, I, again, reading up, I, I just, I know you talked about that you know, I can imagine for sure you're someone now that's a huge advocate as far as helping people um, who are battling against cancer. I mean, I, I'm not sure if we had anybody listening or maybe they have, you know, relatives or, you know, people they know, whatever. I mean, what, what would you say to someone who is, who is dealing with that? Because again, everybody's situation is different, but I, I think for people, it's, I would imagine that the toughest thing is really just mentally just staying positive throughout the entire process and knowing that, you know, especially someone like yourself who has been there has, has got their back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would just say you have to try to keep that positive mindset. And, and for people who, who don't have it but nope, somebody who does, shooting a simple text to somebody will absolutely brighten their day. I couldn't tell you how many people I haven't talked to in a couple of years and they just shoot me a text saying, hey, thinking of you keep fighting and then your mindset goes all right i'm not i'm stop being sorry for myself people want me to get better i need to get better um and the people who do have it you know surround yourself with people who love you i mean my little sister my best friend my parents friends that i met from school even if i couldn't be like madison stokes one of the nicest best people i've ever met in my life probably facetimes me two to three times a week just to say like hey you're doing good you need anything um People I met at school with sent me cookies and, you know, it's just little things like that go so far in this process that even though it doesn't seem like much to you, it's just one text or one phone call, one Snapchat, it doesn't matter. Um, just send it to them and I'm, I guarantee you it'll make all the difference in their head and you may not know it, but it, it goes a long way. For sure. Well, Justin, before I get you out of here, one last question. I want to go back to the baseball field for you. When you, when you take a look back at your career at South Carolina, um, I, I know it's probably tough because I know you have a ton of great memories, but if there is one memory you would say that sticks out for you or is your favorite memory while you were at Carolina, what would it be? Uh, I think I got like a team one and like a personal one. Uh, definitely went in that, that regional um, just because – what we couldn't accomplish my junior year and how much talent we had those two years. I knew that we were good enough to compete at the college world series. And I feel like, again, we, we had bigger goals, but we won a regional one and not a lot of people can say that in their four years, let alone get to one, but we won one. Um, and then personal, I'd probably have to go with uh, that Sunday LSU series where we went for the sweep. And, uh, you know, I think we were down like seven, one or something like that and ha- had a huge comeback and the emotions of that, I think kind of, changed our season we we ended up sweeping LSU and winning five straight SEC series and, and getting into the postseason 
Yeah, that LSU sweep was big for sure. Well, Justin, really do appreciate it. I know I can speak for all Gamecock fans when I say it. I mean, it was a pleasure to watch you on the field. But more importantly, um, the news that we got last Friday, I know that everyone was ecstatic about that. You know, it's great to hear that you're doing well. Beat cancer. Um, just awesome, man. Just just awesome stuff. There's really – words cannot describe how great it is to hear that. So, Justin, really do appreciate the time, man. would love to have you back on the show. And, uh, yeah, let's do it again soon for sure. Awesome. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, perfect. So for Justin Rowe, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.